Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So first, I want to appreciate and congratulate you on making it through the first day of retreat. For many of you, I know you had done a day long before, but round about anything past 5 p.m., you've now surpassed your previous records of meditating, so... Congratulations. And it's not always easy, is it? So things aren't always how you expected them to be. So I want to take a little poll, uh, if you are willing. Uh, I'm wondering if there's anybody here who felt sleepy uh, during the day today, during the meditation. Okay, and if you wish, you could look around to just uh, take a little look at our silent poll. You're not alone. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if there anyone who ever felt restless today, restlessness of the body or restlessness of the mind. Yeah, yep, okay, yep, good. What else should I ask? Let's see. Is there anyone who ever had uh, something happen and they didn't want it to be there? Wanted to push away some experience, could be like some body pain or mind state you didn't want or thoughts you didn't want. Okay, you could look around if you want, but yeah, pretty much everyone's hands are up in case you're in the front row, not looking around. Did anyone have any moments in which you wanted something else to happen, or you wanted something you didn't have? It could be like a pleasant experience of meditation, it could be you missed something from home and you wanted that uh, food, or forgot your favorite slippers, you wished you had your phone back, darn it, it's in the safe, right, anything like that, okay. And then uh, maybe the final poll would be, uh, is there anyone who had any doubt about coming here? Like, wow, why did I do this? I shouldn't have done this. Or maybe even about themselves, like, oh, I can't do this. Everyone else seems to be sitting there so perfectly still and steady. I'm bad at meditation. Everyone else is good at meditation. Maybe a doubt in the teachers, right? Like, uh, should have come when there were some monks here? These lay people, do they know what they're talking about? Or... Um, could have been also just even the tradition, like, oh, I used to do this other kind of meditation, that one was good, mm, you know, that one was better, I don't know about this one, uh, yeah, okay. That one is maybe a little, you feel a little sheepish about owning up, but I know it's there too, right? <laughs> so the uh, poll was actually one of an ancient poll, you could say, <laughs> So these are the top five uh, challenges to meditation that the Buddha described. So these are the same results have been coming up for 2,600 years uh, as humans have tried to uh, meditate, to still their mind, to see into the nature of their experience. So congratulations, you're all human. Uh, and what it is, is it is your experience is very normal, you know. And we don't always think about that when we think of coming on retreat. Usually we think about the peaceful, beatific time, right? The mind will be clear and empty. The body will be uh, still and pleasant. If I get really good, maybe I'll be floating a little bit, you know, something like that, right? And then, what is it? It's all these things that I mentioned, right? Knee pain, or 
missing something from home or sleepiness, restlessness, wondering if I really should be here, right? But I'm here to tell you that you are right on schedule, if any of that has been happening for you, and to give you appreciation that it is definitely not easy, you know, this human body, this human mind, but uh, what we're doing here is worthwhile. We're doing an exploration of the Dhamma. So here's some from the teachings that we're basically uh, drawing on uh, from the Buddha's teachings about uh, these foundations of mindfulness, so his main teaching of mindfulness from which a lot of the practices have been drawn that we're doing here. So here's, he's talking to a group of practitioners. So he's saying, practitioners, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of liberation and namely these practices of mindfulness that we are doing here. And then he gives further instructions about uh, how to do this. And it's, it's basically about developing complete awareness as much as possible. And that's what we're doing in a gradual way here. Right? So when walking, a practitioner understands that they are walking. When standing, they understand standing. When lying down, they understand lying down or however their body is disposed. So very simple, just knowing when you're walking that walking is happening, knowing when you're sitting that you're sitting. In this way, the practitioner abides contemplating the body as the body, internally, externally, both internally and externally. And the practitioner abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. Okay, so the not clinging to anything in the world might be aspirational, but uh, at least it's there. Yeah. So it continues on, a practitioner is one who acts in full awareness when going forward and returning, when looking ahead and looking away, when flexing and extending their limbs, when wearing their clothes and carrying their bowl, when eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting, when defecating and urinating, I'm not kidding, that's in the sutta, Uh, when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, or keeping silent. So in this way they abide contemplating the body as body, internally, externally, and both internally and externally. So that's our instructions, and you know what we've been attempting to do in some way is becoming aware uh, on this first day, particularly of being engaged with the body, so being connected to, intimate with this physical body. And it's something that for most of us is not the way that we usually are. You know, most of the time we're lost in our thoughts, we're thinking about things, we're worrying about things, we're planning things, we're remembering things, we're regretting things. But we've abandoned this vehicle of the body. So developing awareness of the body in all of these postures, just very simply, you know, as you're washing your hands, right? as you're putting on your shoes, when you're at the dish sink, right? scrubbing like this. So just being connected to the movements very, very simply. And almost like allowing for some sensitivity, like as much as you can 
to allow yourself to drop into some sensitivity of noticing, of hearing, of being present to all of the senses of the body as well. In some ways, in as simple a way as you can. So like just hearing that sound. Just as simply as that. Allowing that sound to come and go. And being tuned into that. And knowing that hearing is happening. So the practice and the mindfulness, though, is the vehicle, you could say. And it's not actually the uh, end goal. The end goal here is actually wisdom. And the wisdom is the kind of wisdom that will lead us to freedom from suffering, freedom from difficulty. So these uh, great promises on this uh, in this teaching, the direct path for the purification of beings, surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, disappearance of pain and grief for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of freedom. So this is one of the reasons uh, why uh, this path has so much to offer. So there might be times during the day or during a sitting when you start to think like, yeah, yeah, they're saying like, you know, be with the body, experience the body when you're thinking, know what you're thinking, but this thought is really good. You know? Like, I, I really want to think about this thought. This, this one's good, and if I think this one, I'm going to figure it out. You know? I'm really going to get it, and uh, this one's juicy. So then it's like, oh. The, the trick is that uh, you could maybe figure out that one problem if you think about it, maybe, but if you do this practice, you could figure out all your problems. So that seems like a better deal, right? So what we're gaining insight into is something called the Dhamma. So Dhamma, we've thrown around this word, some the, the teachings or the nature, the truth of the way things are, is one of my favorite translations about this. And this is um, understanding of something that the Buddha himself did not make up, but he discovered too. So he went on his own uh, meditative quest out of his own basically existential difficulty with suffering, human suffering. And then through his efforts, he was able to see into this Dhamma, the truth of the way things are, you know, discover this, you could say. And then the teachings are designed to lead us to this. So I find this comforting sometimes because it's not something that we have to really like figure out, be smart about, this kind of thing. It's really as close as the sounds of the night or your own nose or every moment the Dhamma is there to be revealed. You know, it's nature, it's the truth of how things are. It's only that we may not have known how to look. We may not have given the attention or understood the way. So really our uh, practice here is helping us to see into this Dhamma and then to realize that, to recognize that. In some ways to become aligned with nature, with the truth of the way things are. And as we're able to do that more and more, then we have less suffering in our life, less difficulty. We're living less in delusion, in imaginary worlds. So an example of this uh, I like to give is that you know we've 
already to some extent been able to align ourselves with nature or learn about nature in some ways uh, in our life as humans. So all of us at one point were babies. We probably don't remember that. (laughs) But you might see babies sometimes and notice that they don't actually understand some things that you understand. So for example, babies usually don't know about gravity. So sometimes you might see babies somewhere, you know, the high chair, and they'll be like, kind of like checking it out. You know, they'll throw something off, like fork, spoon, whatever. And then like, oh yeah, it fell, okay. And then let's see, what happens if I do it over here? Like, oh, also falls, right? And what happens if I do it and I'm not looking? Right? Oh, same thing happened, right? So after a while, then they get the picture. They push things off the high chair and they go to the ground. And uh, then, you know, you can kind of uh, understand that for whatever reason, that is some way that nature works, right? And you don't actually need to understand the mathematical equation for that, to live in alignment with that. You don't need to know if somebody is running that. Uh, You don't even need to take it personally. You just have to understand that's how things work and then try to live in accordance with that. So which means that as an adult who has largely mastered gravity, uh, I know that if I want to put this glass of water somewhere, midair is not a good thing because it's going to happen the same thing that happened to all this other stuff, which is that it is drawn inextricably to the ground. So better I put it there. So if I tried to place it in midair, then it would like break and the glass would shatter and the water would splatter and be a big mess. So we learn to live in accordance with that. We've already learned to live in accordance with that. And if by any chance, you know, sometime by accident something happens, like this thing falls, I don't need to stress about it because I already have understood that pattern, right? So I can just pick it up, put it back. So I don't need to be like, you know, why me? Why now? Why did this happen? Like it's not personal. I don't need to make a drama like that around that. You know, it's just something about the way things work in in nature, in the world. So live in accordance with that, less suffering, messes, live out of accordance with that, and more stress and suffering. So just like that, there's things that we haven't noticed yet. There's things we haven't noticed about uh, the way the world works, the way experience works. So first of all, it takes some humility to be willing to even consider that. You know, if you're like a functional adult and you've done well in your life, but like, wow, there's something I don't know. Now probably a lot of you on some level know that which has drawn you to this retreat, right? The main number one uh, draw is suffering, is dukkha, that you actually have had this kind of difficulty, stress, friction in some way or another in life. And it could be a big thing from someone uh, passing away or being diagnosed with an illness, uh, losing a job, um, losing a child, loved one, uh, losing a home. Or it could be just lower grade ways in which uh, things are difficult for you in your daily life. It could be on the macro level, so things in the news, and difficulty in world events, or uh, politics, for sure. Or seeing the injustice of the world. The injustice of the world around economic injustice, around racial injustice, 
gender violence, so many things. And so we become seekers in some way. We seek some refuge. We seek some safety, some understanding. And the first thing that we can start to recognize maybe is that the places that we've gone to look for this refuge are not things that have held up very well. Now sometimes you don't notice that you've gone for refuge to something until it's failed, basically. So for example, it could be like you took refuge for a long time in your youth and good health. And then guess what happened? You got older, right? <laughs> the hair start changing color, body start getting creaky, right? Uh-oh. Even I too will get old. It could be that you took refuge in some relationship. You made vows. It seemed like it was going to last forever. That's what happened in all the rom-coms at the end, right? But then something happened. You grew apart, or the person cheated on you, or any number of things. And that also was not a safe place for refuge. Maybe you took refuge in a particular status or job title. Sometimes that also can evaporate. Industry changes, job changes. The market goes up and down. So basically everything in the experiential world is subject to these forces of change. And if it was subject to the forces of change but only according to your wishes, that could be good. Because then you could make it all get better and better and better. Change would be okay if it could only go in one direction. But it turns out that everything is subject to change and not actually under your control. So ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. And so then before we find something else that we can take refuge in, we're tossed around by these forces. You know, we're tossed around by the way someone treats us one day. We're tossed around by the news. We're tossed around by uh, how things are at work. We're tossed around by uh, how the kids are behaving. So is there something beyond that? So sometimes I think about this like we have maybe like 10 different areas of our life we could say, like our physical health, our family, romantic life, your work life, financial life, creative life, maybe political life, automotive life, uh, you, know. you know, you could fill in a couple more, right? And for most of us, the recipe for happiness is like if everything is judged on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the best, I want to get everything to a 10, and then I want to hold it there for the rest of time. So when I can do that, when I can get everything up to 10 and then just hold it there, then that's, that's going to be good, right? That's, that's my recipe for happiness, well-being, right? And then I'm going to just coast till death, right? <laughs> so we laugh because then there's some part of us that recognizes like, ooh, that might not work out so well, right? <laughs> So because what happens when you reflect on it, like, yeah, sometimes your health is good, sometimes it's not good, right? Sometimes your finances are good, sometimes not good. 
Sometimes the weather's good, sometimes it's not good. All of these areas, they're all dancing around, right? And not in your control. And if it ever comes to one moment when everything is at a 10, one blessed moment, there's a way in which we know it's not going to stay there. So we're already suffering, you know, because it's like the tenuousness, you know, the tenuousness is itself is, is painful. There's this uh, kind of fear that we hold all the time because experiential world is not in our control and is constantly changing. Now, even if you've managed to somewhat not attach to all that other stuff, then... Uh, the one that we're most attached to really is uh, here, right? Oneself. So one's own body, one's own thoughts. And even this, we can discover, is always changing. And also not according to our wishes. So a very simple example of that is take any sitting you've had today. <laughs> Were there any times in which your body did not conform to your wishes and script uh, regarding how it should be uh, manifesting? For example, was there ever any pain, any itch, any dislike of the weather? Was there ever anything that happened in your emotional life that you didn't like? Any moods that arose that you wished wouldn't have been there? And then we'll come to the area of the mind, the field of the mind, in which thoughts come and go so quickly, slippery, slippery, slippery things. But that too is not under our control. So memories come that we didn't ask to come. We're grappling and worrying about things that we didn't want to worry about. And then that peace that we've been seeking after seems elusive, it's hard to find. So this happiness of liberation, this realization of liberation is a finding of a sense of well-being, a kind of well-being that's beyond all of this changing circumstance. So it's not actually finding a more refined state of the body or even more refined state of the mind. It's like actually that there is a well-being, a contentedness, that is not dependent on any of these changing circumstances. And it's actually accessible to all of us. We're on the path there, right now. So you might have some tastes of it at different times. So maybe there have been moments in which, even when something's happening that's yeah, not totally according to your liking, it can actually just be allowed to be as it is. So when the instructions that are given today was uh, you know, really to, to relax and be open. And in practicing mindfulness, we have to keep reminding ourselves that this sense of mindfulness, awareness, it can meet any experience. So awareness can know any experience through any of the sense fields. Any smell, any taste, any touch, any sound, any body experience, even any thought, and cannot be harmed by that. 
So we don't actually need to worry even what it is that is happening in our experience. But our habit is to worry about it. The habit is to try to script it, to try to control it, to try to capture some things, to try to push away other things. And then frequently, frequently to identify. So to take as ourselves, as me, as mine, all of the stuff that's just moving through, just moving through. And then here's where we suffer. There's like this friction, this stress that comes from that. So still it may not be clear to you. Maybe the doubt is there, like, okay, so connect the dots to that which you're speaking about, which sounds pretty good, to this, like, sitting and walking that we're doing. Doing nothing in various postures. How is this going to be revealed? Like, how is this accessible? It sounds both distant and unreachable, and yet you're saying it's so close all the time. So I'll fill in a little bit more about the story of uh, the Buddha and his awakening. And um, I mentioned during our cell phone ceremony about uh, him leaving his home, his very sumptuous palatial life and chopping off his hair, leaving his uh, belongings behind, going on his quest. And I said that during uh, his quest for uh, freedom from suffering, he went on many different paths try this kind of meditation, try this kind of meditation. And then finally he came to some understanding about the way to practice. And he took this resolve, like, okay, I'm going to sit here until I see into the Dhamma, until I see into the nature of the way things are. And it said that on the night that he took this resolve, he was assailed by the forces of Mara, so Mara is kind of like the, sort of like the trickster character. Uh, sometimes could be seen as like uh, the devil, but it's kind of more like a trickster kind of uh, entity. And Mara's job is to uh, keep people rolling around in the realm of sense desires, uh, seeking refuge in uh, donuts and various things like that. Right? <laughs> And more money and whatnot, right? So, so the Buddha, he sees Buddha as like almost out of his, his grasp, right? And so he sends his armies to try and keep him. And the uh, first army is the one that is uh, like trying to tempt him with all this good stuff he could have, like pleasant experiences of sex, of food, of music, so memories of his time in the palace and all this stuff. But yeah, he's already been there and done that. So he is sitting steady. So he lets all that go by. Unmoved. Then army, the next army is this army of terrifying things. So Mara sends all these fearsome images, right? Like worst horror show you could imagine. But Buddha is not going to be moved. So he sits steady through that. Not knocked off his seat. And then it's said that the final army that sent him is an army of doubt. Like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to think you can do this? 
Like, who says you're the one? And so from somewhere inside, the Buddha knows that this is his birthright, and he touches the ground with his hand. And in the statue, he's doing this. He's touching the ground, and it's like, uh, the earth itself bears witness to my right to be here. Right? The earth itself bears witness to my right to know, to understand. And to me, in this way, it's, it's like he's recognizing, like, I am part of nature. You know, this deep connection with, with nature, like completely trusting and falling into nature. And then in that moment, Mara is dispelled. <laughs> Buddha's awakened. And then he... Uh, Later starts his uh, Dhamma teaching. So he's uh, from that moment fully transformed. So we, in some way, practice this. You know, when you sit here for these periods, you are also being assailed by these armies, right? And these things that I mentioned, you know, sleepiness, restlessness, stuff that you want to have stuff that you don't want to have, doubt. In some ways, these are like the armies of Mara, right? So here's our first step, is like, can we actually know these things? Can we expand our ability to be steady with them? Can we see through them? Can we not take them to be me or mine? And can we also not even believe that the knower of this is me or mine, that there's anyone that can be harmed by whatever it is that comes and goes. So we're practicing in some way then to see through our habitual responses because say you sit there and you have a itch. So normally in regular life you would just itch it, right? And there's nothing unethical about itching. It was not mentioned in the training precepts, right, about itching, so... So why should I not itch, right? So the, the itch is an opportunity to feel basically what is an intense sensation that oftentimes can be unpleasant, but actually can be varying a lot. And to see it for just what it is, which is a changing experience of the body. So changing experience of the body means it's just like nature. It's just like the changing of the weather, changing of the seasons. We don't need to be afraid of it. We don't need to own it. And we don't actually need to react to it. Our habitual response is like, this is me, I have an itch, I want it to go away. I want to get back to a pleasant experience. And so before we know it, we're like up here itching. And it's okay if that happens to you, just notice that in some way be humbled by the power of this conditioned patterning and of how much we're actually on autopilot in our lives, so much of the time. So here the opportunity to practice not getting knocked off our seat by stuff that comes through, by experiences of the body, by experiences of emotion, by stuff that comes through the mind, by sounds, by smells, by tastes, by anything. So as we expand our ability to do that, to be present with all of this, it actually allows greater freedom. This gives us freedom from suffering. And the more and the more deeply we see into the changing nature 
and the ways in which these are not actually inherently me or mine also. This gives us the opportunity to have really the same kind of breakthrough that the Buddha had, of some deep changing experience, some deep change in the way that we relate to life, to suffering, to ourselves, to others. Now today we were mostly focusing on the experience of the body, uh, but certainly you've been having experiences of the mind already. And we're going to get more into instructions with that tomorrow about working with emotions and thoughts. But it's helpful to be curious about sort of like the way our life gets constructed. You know, like how do we have this sense of who I am get created and fall apart? And it could be that even in the span of a very short time, there's many different ideas of who you are that come together and fall apart. So there could have been the you that is psyched to be on retreat, right? Like, it's so beautiful here, I love it here. I want to become a Dharma teacher, I want to become a monk, I want to live here, right? When things are good. And then when things are bad, there's like, I hate it here. Why did I come here? Who signed me up for this? <laughs> What's the good of it? Can anyone really do this anymore? I should have stuck with whatever XYZ was. Is it too late to get out of here? Right, all that stuff. So these different ideas, these different sort of worlds get created and then they fall apart. They get created and they fall apart. And by and large, it's all happening in the mind. So this is very helpful to recognize the way in which the mind works, the way in which our reality gets created and then falls apart. So for example, many people often have the experience of it being hard to get on retreat, right? It's hard to take the time and all the machinations. So before you came here, you were thinking about like, oh, when I go on retreat, it's going to be so great. When I finally get to retreat... So maybe when you're at work, you're thinking about this in boring meetings, like, ah, when I finally get to retreat. (laughs) And then you get to retreat, and then what happens? Your mind's thinking about work. Oh, I forgot to do that thing. When I go back to that meeting, I'm going to say this. I can't believe they didn't do this. So this is the sad predicament of the uh, (laughs) untrained mind, right? Like, we can never actually be where we are, you know? We're one place we want to be the other place. When we're the other place, we want to be back there, yeah. So very simply, uh, what if we just practiced being where we are? And part of this practice of being where we are requires us to expand our ability to be present with a variety of different circumstances. So experiences of the body, experiences of the mind. There's an old uh, joke, this kind of meditation is called insight meditation or vipassana. And it said, you know, you get a lot of insight, especially in the beginning, but most of it is bad news. So because maybe uh, what it turns out is the experience of the mind, experience of the body is not what we expected, right? Or once we finally stop and sit still for a little while, 
then we have to face all the stuff that we have been distracting ourselves from and running away from. So let's say that uh, this piece of paper is the entirety of your experience you have, right? So bodily experience, mental experience, everything. And for most people, there's some things that are okay to feel, to experience, and other things that maybe you're uncomfortable with, or it's not in accordance with who you think you should be, or you've been told you shouldn't feel that, or it's unpleasant, right? So then we have to spend a lot of time actually pushing away different experiences, or sort of putting blinders on, at the very least. Pretend things are not happening. So for example, uh, the area of physical pain. So we don't want to have physical pain. So if physical pain comes up, we push that away. We try and dodge it, move away from it. Right? So I'm folding that back. Then certain emotions. So it could be that you've been told, like, oh, I shouldn't be angry. Okay, so push that away when anger comes up. It could be you've been told, like, okay, sadness. Can't be sad. It's not... Uh, it's not strong, so then push that away. It could be you're uncomfortable having certain memories of certain times in your life, things you feel bad about, so push that away. Right? And maybe sexual feelings, you don't want to feel those, push that away. Right? So you see what happens, right, as this goes on and on. It's like, and it could be anything, even good things, or you know, then old rerun songs that show up in your mind and whatever, right? So then basically you end up having to live in this tiny little crunched up shape, right? Like bouncing off these walls. So first thing as we relax is to actually open and see if we can be present with everything and just know it for what it is. So this includes actually knowing the icky stuff and knowing the difficult stuff knowing body pain, knowing difficult emotion, knowing sadness, knowing loneliness. So allowing in some way everything to come and go because none of it is really ours. None of it belongs to you and everything is moving through. And then there's much more spaciousness. Now, as we practice and and develop mindfulness of all different experiences, then there's another level that we can get to in which we start to discern, like, oh, what things are actually helpful and what are unhelpful? Like, what is actually conducive to well-being for myself and others? And what is unconducive? In some ways, kind of like, oh, what is healthy and what is toxic? What emotions, what thoughts... But in order to get there, we have to first actually know what things are. We have to actually feel them, taste them, touch them, experience them. So this includes grief. This includes uh, all different manner of things. And you want to go kind of middle way with these. So not pushing it away or pretending it's not there, but also not overindulging or kind of not drama, queening it up with stuff. So just allowing it to be as it is, and then knowing everything as an energetic experience that's moving through. So this includes the sleepiness, this includes the restlessness, 
This includes the states of aversion, pushing away. This includes the states of wanting. And include the hardest one sometimes to catch hold of is the doubt. You know, doubt that you yourself can do it, doubt that this works, any of this stuff. So to this last one, the real answer is try it. So you could sit there and think about the meditation or think about the instructions, but um, in some way that's like thinking about swimming. Like you're not actually going to learn how to swim if you just sit there thinking about swimming. <laughs> like you have to get in the pool and swim. Right? <laughs> so which means actually just doing the practice, right? like trying it out and And we'd ask that, you know, while you're here, just give it your best, you know, try it out. And you can tell your mind, like, I'm going to try and follow these instructions these four days, and hey, if it doesn't work work after that, then I'm done, right? It didn't work, not for me, not my cup of tea, right? That's fine. But give yourself the chance to try it out, right? Which really means just showing up and doing your best, so coming to your uh, dharma cookers, right? <laughs> Sitting, following the instructions, doing the best you can in very gentle continuity, right? Very relaxed, gentle continuity. And then going from that to doing the walking. It's so simple. It's like actually such a beautiful, ridiculously simple life, <laughs> you know? You just walk back and forth and know that you're walking allow your senses to become awakened. See what it's like to become embodied. What would that be like? What is there to learn from embodiment? So taking your place in some ways, right? Among the family of beings, reclaiming the space of your heart And then the next sitting, and then the next walking. And then in between, you know, allowing yourself to do what you need to do. So even the taking a shower, allow yourself to actually take a shower like you've never taken a shower before. Like feel what that feels like, the water, the soaping. Get curious, like how do I do that? You know, what's my habitual soaping pattern, right? Uh, If I had to describe that, what would that be? Do you know? So doing that and doing everything as wholeheartedly as possible. So including your work, meditation, uh, you know, Zen, they have a saying like, when sweeping, just sweep. Can I do something wholeheartedly? Can I be fully present with this? The way that we meet anything is the way that we'll meet everything. So we're practicing for insight that can arise here, but also we're practicing for life and develop a relationship with living, with life, with our own hearts and minds that could be uh, friendly, that could be awake, that can be free. So it's definitely not always easy, but it's worthwhile. So you're not alone in whatever trials and tribulations you've been going through. But take heart. 
Many humans have walked this path before. Many humans in many different countries, many different eras, and the same freedom that has been discovered by people all of these different times is also available for you. And you're on the right path. Take a moment to tune into the sounds again. And connect again with the experience of the body sitting. So we have a final period for walking meditation. And yeah, you can do this uh, inside if you like in the same way as before. Uh, or if you like, you can consider it outdoor night walking meditation. So yeah, just allow yourself to feel what does it feel like to walk outside when it's dark in the cool air, hearing the sounds, being tuned in, but being as fully present as possible you notice you get lost in your thoughts, just come back again, being as present as you can. There's something beautiful about being on retreat. In some ways it feels like, um, like being like a child, like being able to connect to nature, being able to feel what it feels like to be in nature. So I've seen some of you enjoying the lizards and the turkeys and the trees and everything. So it's good to, it's good to allow yourself to do this. So we'll come back again at uh, 8.30 for a last sitting meditation. And in this last period, we'll be practicing uh, some uh, meditation of goodwill or uh, metta meditation. So closing our evening with some uh, kindness, loving kindness. So uh, please come back for that. It'll be a shorter meditation. And then after that, you can decide if you have energy to continue or if it's time to go to bed.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.